Well, welcome to Torah Today Ministries as in our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings. And in this episode, we find ourselves in Parsha Vayachi, which covers Genesis 47:28 to 50:26. And though I probably don't need to repeat this, this uh, series uh, called Parsha Seasonings is about looking at uh, just various details in the Torah scroll and then the Hebrew words, things that do not get translated into our English translations. And so let's begin in chapter 48, verse 22. And this is one of those things. Um, now, some translations get this correct and others don't. But again, there's not really a correct way to translate this. But in 48.22 is when uh, J Jacob is speaking to Joseph and his son Zephyr and Manasseh. And he says to Joseph, and I give you one portion more than your brothers. Now, first of all, we have to answer the question, why does Joseph get a double portion? It's because the firstborn status was taken away from Reuben, but it was given to Joseph because technically, had Laban not substituted brides on Jacob's wedding night and given him Leah instead of her younger sister, Rachel, the one whom Jacob loved and had worked for for seven years, uh, Joseph would have been his firstborn. And we're told over in 1 Chronicles 5 that the firstborn status, the birthright, had been given to Joseph. So he gets an extra portion. But this word for portion is the word shechem or shechem in uh, modern Hebrew. And Shechem is the portion of land that is in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And when you read at the end of Joshua in chapter 24, around verse 38, you find out that when Joshua brought the Israelites out of uh, the wilderness and across the Jordan into Canaan and they conquered the land, that they finally bring the sarcophagus holding Joseph's bones to Shechem, and that is where he is buried. And you can go to Shechem today, and there's Joseph's tomb. So this portion is the word Shechem, which means portion. So some translations may actually translate this Shechem, but most of the time they'll just translate it portion. But I wanted you to be aware of what is behind this word. Now, chapter 49 of Genesis is just an incredible chapter. I mean, every chapter in Torah is incredible, but this has some amazing significance for us because in this chapter, Jacob is on his deathbed. Realizing he's going to die, he calls his sons around him. He's in Egypt. He calls his sons around and he tells them this. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the latter days or in the last days. In Hebrew, that phrase is Ba'acharit Hayamim. Ba'acharit Hayamim. And this is the first place in the Bible we find a reference to the last days or to the latter days. So, most people, when they want to study end-time prophecy, they go to Revelation. Then they realize you can't begin to grasp Revelation without going back and studying Daniel, because these two books are like two halves of menorah. 
But we need to realize that if we want to understand those, we need to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 49, where the first reference to the latter days is made, because the things that Jacob speaks over his sons have prophetic significance on into the future and to the end of time when Messiah returns. So this is the first place. I want you to be aware of that. Now, as we look through these prophecies, we come to verse 8. This happens to be the passage where he begins to address Judah. Judah was his fourth son. He was a son of Leah. And Judah is the tribe through which the kings of Israel came, with the exception of the first king, Saul, who was from uh, the tribe of Benjamin, Joseph's little brother. But all the rest, <clears throat> David and Solomon and so on, came from the tribe of Judah. And this is what Jacob says to Judah. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Now, the word hand is the word yud, and you can see here in the name Yehuda, which is how Judah is pronounced, you can see the first and fourth letters spell the word yud, which is hand. So in Judah's name is a reference to the word hand, because your hand shall be on the neck or on the nape of your enemies. And he says, your brother shall praise you, because at the heart of Yehuda's name are the letters hey vav dalet hod which is a word that means praise and exaltation so uh, it's a, a play on words recall that when leah gave birth to judah that she said this over him you can find this in genesis 29:35 and leah conceived again and bore a son and said this time i will ode i will praise adonai Therefore, she called his name Yahuda. Then she ceased bearing. So she praised Adonai. So she basically called her son Yehuda, praise. And in the middle of his name is the word Hod. But there's something else that's very interesting about Yehuda's name. You'll notice here that I have the letters Yud, He, Vav, and He in red. Yud, He, Vav, we skip the fourth letter, and the fifth letter is He. What do Yud, He, Vav, He spell? Of course, that is God's holy name. That's the tetragrammaton. That's the word that we say Adonai, or we say Hashem, the name. That's God's four-letter name right there. It, 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 Yehuda is the only tribe that contains the four letters of God's name. But this fourth letter, the one that's in black print, is the letter Dalit. This is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet also. And the name of this letter, Dalit, means door. So which tribe contained the door to Adonai? Which tribe had a descendant who called himself the door. Of course, that tribe is Judah, because Yeshua himself comes from this tribe, because he is a son of David. He is a king, and um, he is the door. He is the door to Adonai. So how perfectly, how beautifully the name Yehuda pictures this. So we see Yeshua, the door, here to yud vav 
And we put this together, it tells us which tribe he's from, the tribe of Yehuda, a tribe whose name is based upon the word for praise. Now we go a bit further in the chapter. We come to verse 10. And Jacob's continuing to prophesy concerning Judah. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And of course, we know the kings did come from the tribe of Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Well, who is Shiloh? Who is this person? Well, if you have a comish, which is, uh, and I know many of you do, it's a copy of the Torah that will have the the English on one side and the Hebrew on the facing page and commentary. <clears throat> but if you look at the Hebrew portion, usually right next to that, as with this Komish, there will be a column of Hebrew print, which is the Aramaic translation. I won't get into the whole story of why there's an Aramaic translation contained in the, the Hebrew Komish. But suffice it to say that when you look at the Aramaic translation, it allows you to see how in ancient times people understood the Torah, the, the Hebrew language of the Torah. And if you look at the Targum, this Aramaic translation, instead of the word Shiloh, they have the word Mashiach, because they always understood Shiloh to be referring directly to the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of why Shiloh is a picture of Mashiach, but um, look for a teaching under the Hebrew Key series in the future where I plan to address this and go into detail about this mysterious name, Shiloh. But here's something else that is interesting. In Hebrew, Shiloh comes, because he says until Shiloh comes, in Hebrew, that's Yavo Shiloh. And the numerical value of those two words, Yavo Shiloh, Shiloh comes, is 358, which is the exact same numerical value of the word Mashiach, Messiah. So again, God has given us a hint here that Shiloh is a reference to Mashiach. So why didn't he just say Mashiach? Well, wait for the Hebrew key uh, episode to come out. and We'll talk about that. Now, in verse 18, uh, Jacob is speaking to his son, Dan, and prophesying over him. And there's this, there's this very short, succinct verse which says, I wait for your salvation, Adonai. I wait for your salvation. That phrase, for your salvation, is one word in Hebrew, Lishuateka. There it is, Lishuateka, for your salvation. The lamb in the front means for, and the techa at the end means your, but in the middle tells you what it is, and that's Yeshua, Yud, Shin, Vav, Ayin. Yeshua is the Hebrew word for salvation, but it's also the name of a Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, as we say it in English. This is the first occurrence of the word salvation. So the first occurrence of the word salvation takes place in this prophecy Jacob speaks over Dan concerning the end times. And Jacob is saying, I am waiting for your Yeshua, Adonai. 
So why does he bring it up for the first time here in Dan's prophecy? Well, when you read the prophecy about Dan, it's not a very glowing one. And he says that Dan is a serpent in the way that makes the horse rear up and the rider fall backwards. And it was Dan's tribe that was the first to go into idolatry. And it became a stumbling block to Israel. And so in this dark prophecy of what's going to happen later, and it all did happen just as Jacob prophesied. In that prophecy, though, is the seed of hope where Jacob says, I wait for your Yeshua. I wait for your salvation. Now, when we get to the end of Jacob's prophesying over his sons, and this is in Genesis 49, verse 28, it says this, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. It says, as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him. Three times we see the word bless or blessing. But when you read through those prophecies, you'll notice something very strange. In all 12 of the prophecies over the sons, the word blessing is never mentioned with one exception. When you get to the prophecy concerning Joseph, then you find the word blessing a number of times. So why, if Jacob is blessing all of his sons, why is blessing only mentioned when it comes to Joseph himself and to his tribe? Well, the reason is this. Joseph is a picture of Messiah. And it's through Messiah that all blessings come into this world. And it's through Joseph that all the blessings came to the other tribes of Israel. It's a beautiful picture and foreshadowing of Messiah. But the reason I have this here is because I want you to look at this phrase that's easy to skip over. The phrase, and this. In Hebrew, it's the word vazot. Vazot, and this. Vav means and, zot means this, so vav plus zot, vazot means and this. Why is this significant? It's because this is how Jacob's prophecies over his 12 sons ends. But when you go to the end of Deuteronomy, to chapter 33, Moses, at the end of his life, also blesses the 12 tribes. And it's this word, vazot, that begins his prophecies. So the end of Jacob's blessings is vazot. And the start of Moses' blessings is vazot. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 33.1. Vazot, and this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. The significance here is this. Think of Jacob. He comes into his life. He blesses his 12 sons. He ends the blessing with vazot. You go forward a few hundred years, and here's Moses at the end of his life. He begins the blessing of the same 12 tribes. The, these sons have developed into full tribes now. He begins with Vazot. Ending Vazot, beginning Vazot, that means you need to seam them together. It's like a snap. You buckle it together. You snap it together. Because these prophecies from Jacob and these prophecies from Moses belong together again as a menorah pattern. So as you study each prophecy here concerning a tribe, study its corresponding prophecy 
that came through Moses' lips. It makes for a fascinating study. But be prepared to roll your sleeves up and dig deep because there's a lot going on here. Um, I've talked about this in teachings that you find on the BethTacoon.com website. So you might want to go to those and, and, and check them out. And I've got graphs and notes and charts and they'll help you with your understanding. But it might be a good springboard to get you into this study. And then in verse 24, Genesis 49, 24. This is in the prophecy concerning Joseph. It says, Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd. Now here is another prophecy about Messiah. You're going to find prophecies about Messiah as a descendant of Judah, Shiloh, and Judah, I'm sorry, and Joseph. Here is the shepherd, the stone, the rock of Israel. How can these both be? Well, you know, in Judaism, they expect two messiahs. Let me explain. As the sages have studied the Torah and the writings, the prophets, um, they see all these prophecies concerning the messiah. But these prophecies are of two different kinds. On the one hand, they find a whole pile of prophecies. Pile is probably not the best word to use, but they find a pile of prophecies that point to a Messiah who suffers, who's humble, who rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, who's rejected by his brothers. He suffers, he dies, he's rejected. But on the other hand, there's a, an opposing pile of prophecies about the Messiah where he comes in riding on a horse. He rides in as a military figure, bringing victory and establishing Israel's kingdom, ruling from a throne in Jerusalem, and all the nations of the earth submit to his rulership. So they look at these two different kinds of prophecies and wonder, how, how could these refer to the same man? So they think there are going to be two messiahs. They call the one messiah Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, because they see Joseph as picturing, foreshadowing this particular Messiah. Then they call this Messiah Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, David, the conquering king. Now, what we know is that it's not two Messiahs. It's one Messiah. But the first time he comes as Mashiach ben Yosef, in fact, he would have grown up being called Yeshua ben Yosef because Mary's husband's name was Joseph. This is no accident. But we know when he returns, he won't return as a lamb. He'll return as a lion. And he will come to establish the throne of David. And he will come and he will conquer. So that's why we see with Judah and with Joseph these prophecies about Messiah. So let's take a look at this. This word for stone is a very common word in Hebrew, but this is where the Mashiach is referred as the stone of Israel. Now, this word stone is the word ephen, which is spelled Aleph Beit Nun. There's something very unique about this word. The first two letters, Aleph and Beit, spell the word father, Av, father. The second and third letters, Beit and Nun, spell the word son, Ben. 
So Evan is made of the words father and son connected together. Av, Ben, Evan. And this is also the word that the prophet uses to refer to the stumbling stone. Now there's a rock of stumbling that the Jewish people would stumble over. And this, in the word itself, explains what causes that stumbling. The fact that the Father and the Son are one. Now, don't try to figure that out. You know, I think we need to spend less time trying to analyze who Yeshua is and more time standing in awe of who he is and who the Father is. And I think we need to quit making Yeshua's biology part of our theology. We just need to stand in awe of our God and the fact that somehow the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And and this one lived sinlessly and brought redemption to the world. Let's just stand in awe of it and try quit trying to figure it out. Because even as believers in Messiah, we can stumble and fall flat on our face. We're always trying to explain how the Son and the Father are one. We don't need to explain it. We can still wrap our arms around it and embrace it and love them and be in awe of this truth without having to understand it. So, I hope you'll take that to heart. Well, let's finish with a few Messianic parallels as we've been doing in this series over the last few weeks. Uh, Messianic parallels between Joseph and Yeshua. In chapter 47, in verse 31, we see that Israel will bow to the son, just as Jacob bowed to his son Joseph. In chapter 48, in verse 9, we see that the father's blessings come through the son. Remember, it's only with the prophecies of Joseph that the word blessing is used, because it's through Joseph the blessings flow to all of the other tribes. And then in chapter 50, the last chapter of Genesis, we see in verse 20 how Joseph turned evil into good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And then he sustains those he saves. You know, God does not save us and then forget us. But he takes good care of what he owns, what he redeems and what is his. He takes great care of what belongs to him. He's a wonderful steward of his people. So I hope this has been a blessing to you and encourages you to dig deeper, to study more. And until next time, when I meet you back here in the book of Exodus, in the book of Shemot, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Over and out.